Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Average weight loss 15.4 pounds in the first two months. For guarantee, cancel within first 14 days. Discount with two months of auto delivery. Food charge and shipped every four weeks. Call or see website for details. Do you want to lose 18 pounds fast and improve your health? Now you can lose up to 18 pounds in your first two months with Nutrisystem. Get delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners, even snacks and shakes delivered safely to your door. All delivered for free. It's easy to follow. And you'll see results in your first week. Just text BODY to 323232. You'll get your favorite foods made healthier and perfectly balanced to put your body in fat-burning mode. Text BODY to 323232. 232 right now and get 50% off a month of meals and shakes. That's right, 50% off a month of meals and 50% off a month of shakes with probiotics to help support your immune system. Just text BODY to 323232 right now. There's even a money-back guarantee. Millions of people have lost weight with Nutrisystem, and you can too. Lose up to 18 pounds in your first two months. Just text BODY to 323232. That's B-O-D-Y to 323232. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. Two, one, two, three, four. Uncle Jail, Uncle Jail. There's no bad guy like Uncle Jail. Never lost, just not even around. Undefeated, undisputed, oh yeah. Here comes a bad guy. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Dos Anjos, gone. All right, here's what happened. So, going into this fight, you do not have to put on your Colombo rain jacket to understand this is going to be a stand-up battle. Junior Dos Santos went as far as the champion of the world, but he did it all one way. He did it all standing up. He has great takedown defense. That's where his wrestling comes in. He does not have great wrestling offense. Okay, fine. Don't need it. You need one of the two. He he chose defense. He's got a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but we've never seen him start to execute some of those submissions. It's all right here. It's all been stand-up. Ones and twos. He'll slip a kick in, but he is a Western boxer to the highest of levels who's taking on a professional kickboxer. Now, Gon had a 10-0 and record coming into this fight. Came from professional kickboxing. Used to train and be in the same room on a daily basis with Francis Ngano. I believe that they even sparred to put that in perspective for you. But certainly the same team, same room, same coaches. He's a stand-up guy. Great. So we're going to have a stand-up fight. The problem that Junior has had as of late has not been with his skills, his speed, his size, his strength, or his determination. It has been with his chin. That chin just isn't the same over time. And we, we started to see it with Junior, right? I'm telling you things that you already knew, but, uh, but I did think it was a bit of a surprise to see Junior go into a contest as a former world champion against a guy who, though unblemished, is still 10-0. Not a ton of fights. Junior was a 4-1 to underdog. Does that surprise you guys? 4-1. to He was 3-1 to when I got to Vegas. It went the other way. It went the other Four to one underdog. I thought it was a little disrespectful. Surprisingly. Okay, fight breaks out. Sure enough. Junior's coming out trying uh, jabs and crosses. And one thing about Junior, like you could look at his record as of late and think, okay, this is a favorable match. You could think that. You could think he's not what he used to be. You could think he's not the champion and not going to return to uh, championship form. You can think all of these things. When they shut the door and you're locked in there with Junior Dos Santos, you're going to have different thoughts. You're going to look off the cage, look across that cage and go, Man, this is about to be a long night. So when the fight breaks out, and so, one more thing on Junior. 
only has bad intentions. Junior will not feel you out. Junior does not try to gain favor with judges. He is not looking at the 10-9. He's not looking to touch you here and dip here and move around. Everything he does, he's going to jab you to break your nose. He's going to throw a cross or an uppercut to put you out. Keep that in mind because one thing that Gong did, and I have to give him full credit, is he just kept range. He just kept range. He came in with a very kick-heavy strategy. He was working Junior's legs. He was working Junior's body, but he was doing it from a kicking distance. What that distance does is no matter how perfect of a punch or powerful of a punch Junior throws, if it can't land, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. You guys throw a punch at me right now. It's, just, it's not going to land. I have nothing to worry about. Wouldn't matter what your technique was. Wouldn't matter if you fooled me first. Just wouldn't matter. It's got to land. Did a great job of keeping Junior at bay and slowly started picking him apart. When you start to pick a guy like Junior apart, Junior's going to get pissed off at some point, and he's going to get a little bit reckless. That's what he did. Okay, fine. We see that a million times, but that's what happened. And that's really what opened up the headshots for Gone. If Gone never got to the head, whether he hurt Junior or not, it wanted to put him away. you got to put Junior out. You're not likely to submit him. You are not likely to even win a decision. You're going to have to put him out. This is just the blueprint, and he's going to try to do the same thing to you. Gone did a great job. I'm sitting here talking about this is a 4-1 to going into the fight. Moved from 3-1. to Went the wrong way against Junior. I'm sitting here telling you that Gon only had 10 fights experience. Not a lot. But now I'm here to tell you how calm he was. How composed he was. How disciplined to his strategy, which was to keep Junior at bay. Not make this about the hands. Make it about kicks. Ultimately an elbow finish the fight. But that's relevant too. It's relevant, too, because you're talking about space. You're talking about distance. One of the most basic philosophies that Hoist Gracie ever had, we had a whole bunch of space or we have no space. We don't fight here. We don't fight toe-to-toe. We fight here or we fight here. I felt as though Gone did the same thing, but adverse to Hoist, not on a grappling basis. He did it with striking. He kept distance. That's where the kicks came in. When he decided to fight close, he got really close. That's where the elbows came in. He never fought in Junior's range. Junior's jab, cross, uppercut, they're all negated. Good strategy by Gunn. For a guy that had only been in there 10 times, the odds maker and the betters had this one right. They saw this one and they predicted a little bit of drama in the finish. Finished kind of up against the fence or near the fence. Boom. Gone through an elbow that hit Junior towards the back of the head. Now that elbow's legal as long as part of the strike touches the ear. I've heard Big John McCarthy give this speech 20 times. It's the same every time. You hit him wherever you want as long as something hits the ear. It hit the ear. Now, Gon used a forearm slash elbow, so he had a great big range, unlike a fist, which I think was the intent of that rule, but it's not the letter of the rule. That's not what it says. It says as part of that strike touches the ear, it's fair game. I bring that to you because after the fact, Junior even had a little bit of an awkward moment where he walked up to Gon and said, Pointed Gone up towards the replay and said, I went out because you hit me in the back of the head, you prick. Gone didn't deny it. But the rule says if part of the strike touches the ear, it's fair play. I'm bringing that to you guys because you may not have known that rule. Great fight, great match, fair play. Kevin Holland, this was his fifth fight, taking on Jacare, his fifth fight of 2020. But I got to tell you, he went under my radar a little bit. I didn't fully know who Kevin Holland was. I've heard the name. How are you not again? I follow the sport. Boom, he's up five times. This was number five. I didn't know everything there was to know about Kevin until he walked out. Once I saw him, I go, yep, saw your last fight. No, I know who you are. 
but they call him Big Mouth. I'd like to start with that right there. I don't agree with that nickname, and I'll tell you why. Big Mouth is fighting terms. And not if somebody calls you, hey, you're a Big Mouth. That doesn't mean that now you have to fight them. If the guy that, the guy that says it is looking to fight you, think about that. Have you guys ever called anyone a big, hey, you got a big mouth. That means you're up, you're pissed off, right? I don't like the nickname for Kevin Holland because he is so charismatic. Yes, he talks a lot, but he does it from a very playful standpoint. I find him, I, I find that he gets away with it. I don't find it disrespectful. I don't even find it mean. I find it entertaining. I find it funny, but he does it with a lot of charm. He does it very different. It's, it's every, everybody's talking these days. Oh, that's the way to market yourself. You got to go to, eh. there's more to it than that. That, that, that's a lazy approach to believe that. And Holland brings in something a little bit different. Now I want to break down the match, but I feel as though I have to address this whole big mouth business to start with, because I don't think it's a fair moniker. I don't love that moniker. And I'm into this guy. Look, Jacare is a bad night out and I haven't loved Jacare's strategies, particularly as of late. Because he used to have an urgency within plan A, which is get my hands on this guy, get this guy to the ground, bring him into my world. I've practiced, I'm powerful, and I'm comfortable enough, and I'm good enough athlete that I can go to my plan B, but I will not look at plan B until plan A's options are exhausted. I don't see Jacare doing that anymore. I'm being very critical, but I'm being very critical of a great fighter who I have followed. I followed Jock Ray back in his grappling days. I watched him and Damian Maya in an IBJJF world final match. Man, that's how far I go back with this guy. So it was kind of easy for me to see what's been changing. Now, here's the good news. If your team Jacare, Ray, if he gets this Holland guy down, Holland's in big trouble. That was kind of the belief. That's still Jacare, Ray. And Holland is still this, some guy they're calling a big mouth. I mean, that's the story going to this fight. Okay. Fight breaks out, Holland comes to the ring, he's dancing, he's talking, I think he was doing some singing. But to come back and to try to prove my point that it is not disrespectful and it is not mean-spirited like a lot of guys, when he got in the ring and he started dancing, Jacare smiled and Jacare started dancing. It was one of these things where this Holland guy like just kind of put you in a good mood. I would love to see this guy in a packed arena. If he can get his opponent to start dancing, imagine there was 10,000 people there. The opponent's going to be the last guy to dance with you. He would have had 10,000 people dancing. Kevin Holland could have broke out a dance party in the middle of a UFC. I really think that. This guy was captivated. He had one of these personalities that drew you to him. Okay, fight starts. Jacare takes him down. Holland scrambles up. They're back on their feet. Jacare's disciplined. Disciplined to that plan A we talked about. Got him up, put him back down again, and this time he kept him there. Here's where the surprise came. Holland started talking to Jacare. You could hear it because of the, the, the settings of the pandemic. And then he throws up a submission. He throws up a triangle on Jacare. Now, what if, he, if he would have finished that triangle, which he then transitioned to an armbar, both missed. But if, just if, he would have submitted Jacare Souza, we're having a totally another conversation. The mere fact that he got close and had the courage to go for it, I think opened a lot of eyes. And hey, man, this guy's pretty comfortable on the ground. And ultimately, he throws a strike, hits Jacare right in the right. The ultimate place you want to hit a guy is right on this chin. You want to turn it. There's a little function right here for between your jawbone and your ear. It's a little gap that a human has. You want to close that gap. You hit the jaw so hard that that gap closes. That's what puts a guy to sleep. That's the ultimate place. 
The next ultimate place is arguable. It's very arguable. Do you want the temple? Do you want behind the ear? And I will tell you where Holland went, which is within the argument places, is right on the top of the head, not the forehead, not the two-head area, the eyebrow area, right on the very top. Picture this if you miss the match. Holland is down. He's on his back. Jacare creates a little space. Holland says something to him and then sits up and cracks him. Now, you have to understand this because this is creativity at its finest points. There is no coach in the world, in any MMA gym to ever exist, that brings the team in one day and says, okay, guys, I want you to sit on your butt and wait for the top guy to create space. Then I want you to say something to him and crack him right here. You'll knock him out. Now, that, that He made it up. Joe Rogan, John Anik, Daniel Cormier, three of the finest announcers in the history of sports, let alone this sport. They don't, have a, they don't know what to call it. I've had a day. I don't know what to call it. That's not a move. Kevin Holland made that up. When you have guys that can make things, that they can see it and then do it in live action. It's rare and it's scary and it's impressive and it, it's something to celebrate. Not to mention little skinny big mouth here generated enough power from the most precarious position I have seen to result in a knockout. Right? If I was to bring Clayton Hires in here right now, top boxing coach on earth, and he was to tell you how to generate knockout power. In a million years, he's never going to tell you to sit on your butt and wing one. Kevin Holland sat on his butt creatively, winged one at Jacques Ray while talking trash to him and put him out. There's a little bit more to this than just an impressive performance by, by Holland. There really is, guys. One week ago, 60 gets announced. 60 athletes within the UFC are going to be cut. Five weeks ago, Scott Coker actually cut 30 guys. So 90 athletes, all the way up to Yoel Romero, 90 athletes who we know and who we are invested in on some level are gone. So what does that mean for the fan? It means we have to start over. It, what do you do now? What do you do now if you're Coker, if you're Dana White, you took this product that people have seen, that they are familiar with, that they want to see again, and you do away with them. You put yourself up in a tough position, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden a guy like Kevin Holland comes out. That's why you don't ever miss these shows. New stars are born. Jamal Hill a week ago, by example. That's why you don't miss these shows. And when you want to talk about what's next, and in all fairness, that's all we ever really want to talk about, what's next. What I want to see, what I want to see for Holland is I want to see Darren Till. Holland is not getting a world title fight. Even if that division is in an interesting position now with Adesanya leaving it. And though he hasn't been stripped with any success against Blahovich, he's not coming back. So you, a couple opportunities now open up. Not only can one guy go fight for it, you can have two if it's a vacated title. Even with that, Kevin Holland is not going into a world title fight. But Darren Till would be a mega fight, and that would be a mega step up the card, and most likely that would be a main event. That would then put him in a five-round atmosphere, which would answer a lot of questions. Kevin Holland answered, how can he do with a world-class grappler? If he can answer, how can I do with a world-class striker, and you like the answer, that will move Kevin Holland a meaningful distance closer to his goal, which is a championship fight. This is Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. If you've ever done boxing, kickboxing, or thought about learning how, 
but you're just too busy or you can't access a good boxing gym, you definitely need to check out Fight Camp. Fight Camp brings the boxing and kickboxing gym to you. It comes with all the gear you need. Fight Camp comes with the best freestanding punching bag available, great quality boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats on an iOS device. And then, once you have all the gear, you can choose from one of six trainers with real fight experience to lead you through a 15, 30, or 45-minute workout structured like a boxing match. Three minutes of work, one minute of rest. The Fight Camp app comes with over 600 workouts and tutorials for beginners, intermediate and advanced boxers and kickboxers, and they are releasing 12 new workouts every week. Fight Camp offers flexible financing for as low as 0% APR and $0 down. And right now, as a limited time holiday offer, get free shipping and a gift valued up to $109 with every Fight Camp package. Go to joinfightcamp.com slash welcome. That's right. Get free shipping and a gift valued up to $109 with your purchase. Bring an authentic boxing and kickboxing gym into your home with Fight Camp. To get your free gift, just go to joinfightcamp.com slash welcome. Joinfightcamp.com slash welcome. Now back to your welcome with Jail Sonnen. Oh, I'm in pain, guys. I'm in pain. Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira. When I tell you I am in pain, I know that you share that with me. There is something very exciting. When one star goes out, another begins to shine. But when one star goes out, there's a loss. And we all feel it. And Tony Ferguson is meaningful. He's tough as hell, which he he proved, easily proved. Toughest guy on that whole card, quite frankly. What toughest guy in the sport. But his days of championship opportunities are dimming. Right? 36 years old. Cleaned house. Brought in all new coaches. All new corner. All new training. And now you have a question of, is that a good idea or is that a bad idea? And you know what, guys? That is not necessarily result-based. It's not. That's how it will be judged. That's how the story will be told. But it's not necessarily true. Perhaps that Tony that you saw lose 15 minutes of a 15-minute fight would have been stopped had he not done those things. Perhaps. I'm attempting to prove for you is it is this is not a time to second-guess Tony and what he did. This is a time to appreciate your great memories with Tony. This is a time, more importantly, to show Tony respect for giving the next generation an opportunity. The same thing that the old generation gave to Tony and the same thing that so many guys that when they get up the loft where Tony sits, they pull the damn ladder up behind him. There is nothing more important than what is best for the sport. And athletes will always do what is best for them. And when I say always, that is a 95 plus percent true statement. It wasn't true with Tony. Tony did what is best for the sport. The sport, the organization, the fans, and business on Saturday night needed a boost. And to get that boost, Tony Ferguson 
needed to take a big risk and give an opportunity to a young man who everybody else was taking opportunities from. Tony did just that. Tony Ferguson is a hero, is what he is. Tony Ferguson should be Charles Oliveira's hero as of this moment. And then you look at the performance. Look, this, positionally, Tony got dominated. I don't know if I could say anything else. I, I don't know that I can tell you Tony got beat up, Tony got mauled, Tony got tired, Tony quit, Tony got outclassed. I don't think any of those statements are true. Positionally, Tony got dominated. He got mauled. Oliver told us before this fight, I, I can match him in the jiu-jitsu, and I can beat him in the wrestling. And most of us said, Charles, let me stop you right there. In a best-case scenario, that, that statement is 50% true. But a Brazilian wrestler versus a national champion from America has been tested many times. And the, the, the story ends the same way with the American. Charles had it right. Charles knew how to cut that cage off. He knew how to distract Tony before coming underneath. He knew how to get control of those hips and get his hands locked in the correct spot, not down on the knees, not on the thighs, right underneath the butt. Not on the butt, right... I mean, it was perfect. These were perfect double legs. Picked him up, turned him around, put him down, went to work from there. Got to full mount, started looking for submissions. I mean, Oliveira, whoa. Whoa. It was incredible. And I will tell you this, because it all ties into Khabib, right? No, I am not on the bandwagon of, oh, good thing Khabib left. Oliveira would beat him up. Ah, but that's out there. That's out there. I'm not there, but that's out there. I think one thing that we did learn... Okay, when you look at, at at 155, toughest division in the sport, toughest division uh, it's ever been. That has always been the toughest division in the sport. It's the toughest it's ever been. When you have Poirier, when you have Connor, when you have Gaethje, when you have Chandler, when you have Oliveira, and none of them are the champion, when you have Paul Felder, who I'm mentioning almost last, Dan Hooker, who I've yet to mention, RDA, who's almost slipped my mind. I mean, do you see the problem? Do you see the problem of how damn hard that division is? But one thing is it does tie into Khabib, guys. Anytime we see greatness and greatness leaves, we immediately go to a sad place of that's not going to be matched or redone, possibly ever, but at least for a generation. We will do this after each Olympic cycle. You'll have an Olympic gold medalist who then retires and they well, you know, Somebody's really good. It's going to be a lot easier to win the Olympics now because that person's gone. They were just so great. We see it all the time, but it's yet to be true. Not once. You have Khabib go away, and all of a sudden you get introduced to Charles Oliveira. Charles has been here the whole time, but we didn't know how good he was. We just didn't know. I can remember when Jordan left. Basketball will never be the same. And then Shaquille O'Neal took to the court. And when Shaquille O'Neal left, basketball will never be the same. Well, wait a minute. There's a guy over there named LeBron James. This is the way it goes. This is the real story. This is the real history. I'm not there yet. I'm not saying Charles Oliveira has replaced Khabib. But I am saying when we thought that nobody could be as dominant in a specific position as Khabib, nobody could have this kind of endurance, nobody could maul somebody the way that Khabib can, and then one week later... Charles Oliveira steps in. You, wait, you've been here the whole time. What? You start. Who else is here? Who else is on the roster that either hasn't gotten their due, or we haven't caught up to, or hasn't been given a co-main event spot on an ESPN pay-per-view opposite Tony Ferg for that big shining moment? Who else? 
And they're out there. They are out there. Where does Oliveira go from here? I think Oliveira is going to be on a little bit of a vacation, is what I think. Don't forget, he went into this fight number five. He just took out number three. Very first thing we have to see happen is what is the final answer on Khabib? Khabib has said he is done. He has never misled us before. He's also in a trying time of life, where, and he made a statement in a very emotional time. And another guy who's never been wrong yet is Dana White, said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him a minute to think on this. Out of respect is nothing else. I heard what he said. I'm not forcing him to fight. I'm not even offering him a fight. I'm just going to give him a minute to think on this. Okay, great. But eventually we have to get to the bottom of what happens with Khabib, because until we get to the bottom of that, we don't totally know what's riding on Connor versus Poirier. There is a rumor out there that I believe to be true just because of the pieces left on the board that Gaethje and Chandler are going to go do business. So now what in the hell do you do with Oliveira? Those fights are those fights are imminent. Those fights are right around the corner. Those fights are as quickly as a month away. I'm not saying that we're not going to know the answer on Charles. I'm saying we're not going to know at the matchmaker meeting between Sean Mick and Dana on Tuesday of this week. That's what I'm saying. And I think that that's a very unique spot, but also a good spot for Charles. Great job. You've made it. Enjoy the holidays. Have a little extra turkey. You're probably not going to have to get on a scale soon. But keep a real close eye on your division. Between Gaethje Chandler, Connor and Poirier, strong chance you're up next with one of them. Strong chance. But not a guarantee, guys. Even in a court of law, the defense gets to go last because whoever is seen last has the great advantage and you want to give the advantage to the guy being accused. I bring that to you because as great as Oliveira did and as drunk on his excitement as we are about what we just witnessed as it pertains to this division, we will forget. And when Connor goes out there against Poirier and sucks all the air out of the room, regardless of how that match goes, that's what they're going to be talking about. And then ultimately, Chandler and Gaethje get to go last. They have a major advantage getting to go last. I'm only bringing that to you now because we're discussing where does Oliveira go from here. If I had my druthers, just Chael's choice, i put him in there with Chandler. I give Gaethje a little bit more rest, say, hey, look, you had two title opportunities this year. You won one, you missed one, but you had the opportunity. We're looking for eliminators. Gage, I'm going to move you over here. I'm going to bring in some fresh blood. That's what I would like to see. I'm not going to get my way. Chael's opinion. like to hear what yours is. Davison, Figueredo, and Moreno. Okay. Guys, time out and back up because this became very relevant. So I was, uh, I missed the weigh-ins. And when I get done, I end up in a room with John Anik and, and Brad, Brad Okamoto, who were both at the weigh-ins. And it's just the three of us in a room, but they start visiting... I'm listening to everything you're saying. And John makes a comment to Brett or vice versa that Figueredo came in a half a pound underweight, which relevant. Don't forget, the only thing that's beaten Figueredo in a period of time, particularly in 2020, is the scale. So all of a sudden, he's coming in a half a pound underweight, and he throws up after the weigh-ins. They were discussing this, and I remember thinking, well, that doesn't go together. He's throwing up from cutting weight, but he was underweight. I don't get it. Yeah, okay, I didn't get it because what I was missing is it had nothing to do with the weight cut. He was sick. Hold that thought because this doesn't get revealed to us. We know in here that he vomited publicly after the weigh-ins, which we all chalked up to a weight cut. Hold that thought. Fight starts. Figueredo comes out and he walks Moreno down. I mean, Figueredo is so big. And appears to be so strong. I mean, he's like an oak tree. And you're, uh, Moreno's chopping away. Boom, he's chopping at the tree. It, the tree's not moving. 
Tree's not even flinching. Tree's not even blinking. He's getting punched in the face. Moreno hit him right in the neck twice. Right in the neck. Nothing. Not an expression. Walked him down. Fired back. The announced team was making it believe and making it sound as though Figueredo was fading. I didn't see that. My eyes were not showing me that. They were also leading you to believe that Moreno was winning the fight. That is not what happened. That is not what my eyes were telling me at any point in this. What I saw, more moments than not, was Figueredo moving forward. What I saw, more moments than not, was Figueredo throwing punches and kicks at his opponent. What I saw, more moments than not, was the harder punches being landed by Figueredo. What I saw was three takedowns in an entire contest, all for Moreno against Figueredo, but not one piece of damage done or an advancement of position. Not only was guard not passed, it was not attempted to be passed. Not only was a punch not landed, it was not even thrown. Now, Moreno does get the credit. He got the position. It means something. But guys, in fairness, and you're getting this from a wrestler, it means very little. you got to do something with the damn thing. He got it. If, you gotta cho- if you're splitting hairs, it goes to him. It goes to Moreno. But not a meaningful amount. Nothing happened. When it came to who was more dynamic, Figueredo was throwing punches. He was throwing kicks, including spinning kicks to the breadbasket. He was throwing elbows that were landing. This was a very fun fight. This was not a close or a hard fight to judge. Period. End of story. It only went to a draw because of a low blow where a point was deducted. I'm bringing that to you because there was nothing aloof here. The Nevada State Athletic Athletic Commission has had a very bad two months. They got Bob Arum so upset with the incompetence of the judging that he is threatening to take his product out of Nevada. Doesn't care where he goes, this is a quote, but he ain't coming back to Nevada. This does not deserve to go into that same pile. The judges 100% got this right. 100%. Three rounds to two, exactly as they called it. Did not put an overemphasis on the takedowns. And by the way, the entire narrative going into this fight and even during the fight that Moreno was fading, or that, I apologize, that Figueredo was fading or that Figueredo could not hold up to start with is false. The fifth round was very clear. All three judges saw, the same way as you guys saw, the same way as I saw, and the same way that Moreno felt. Figueredo won it. It was Figueredo's first time in the fifth round in his whole career. Champion of the world. He's never been in the fifth round. We're being told that he was fading? Ten minutes in, we're being told that he's fading? Fifteen, seventeen, eighteen minutes in, the world's being told that he's fading. He won the fifth round. Those don't go together. The fight that you could see or the fight that you could listen to were two totally different fights. This was fun. It was a very fun match. This was not a close match. It ended in a draw. How could you say that? I can say that because the point was taken away, which is the only reason it ended up in a draw. I only bring that to you because then Figueredo lets us in on why he was vomiting at the waist. He was sick. Matter of fact, he had to go to the hospital. He didn't get out till the day of the fight. He was released from the hospital at 2 a.m. the day of the fight. I bring that to you because we're talking of rematch. I'm in, guys. By the way, if it sounds like I'm throwing water on this wonderful performance, you're getting the wrong tone from me. I'm throwing water on the narrative of the performance. Great fight, fun to watch, judges call it the right way. Nothing to see here. And then we get revealed that the champ didn't feel good. That's going to be a talking point going to the next fight. Moreno has a way to go going to the next fight. Moreno had very dominant positions, particularly with the wrestling, of which he was completely lost, which is adjustments that he can make up and fix and change. 
Every single round where he got a takedown, he should have won and stolen that round. He's going to have to make some adjustments, though. Other part of the talking point going to this fight is just how bad did Figueredo feel? Many guys will come out after the fact in a real scumbag fashion, attempt, attempting to take away from their opponent and claim an injury or claim they weren't feeling good. Figueredo was on video vomiting and then just told us why, because he was sick. Take this how you will. Dana White is calling this the greatest 125-pound fight of all time. I'm hearing many other people say it. I'm hearing people even going further just as it pertains to 2020 saying that it's the greatest fight of the year, which is relevant because right now for the World MMA Awards, without a question, Rose versus Wei Li wins fight of the year. Now they have competition. Recency bias is going to say it goes to Figueredo Moreno. The experts that make the vote will sit down in freshness and watch both fights again. I don't have an opinion until I do that, but you see the compliment that is being displayed either way. In a worst-case scenario, it goes down as the second-best fight of 2020, which is one of the great fight years in the history of my life. Wonderful job. But the wonderful job also extends to the judges who got it right and possibly goes against some of those who were telling us Figueredo was fading, Moreno was winning. That's not what happened. That's only what you were told happened. Marvin Vittori has come out with his nomination for Fighter of the Year, who is none other than Marvin Vittori. And he laid out a case. And you know, it's not half bad. Let me tell you what Marvin said. He said, I fought twice, but I made weight three times because Robertson pulled out. That's not my fault. I did my job. Okay. He said, it also culminated with me beating world number four, I climbed 10 spots in the rankings. He's out right there. I mean, that, that's it. I'm letting you digest that. That's not a half bad argument. Now, I can't give him fighter of the year unless I do further research and see if anybody else climbed 10 spots. But that's not a bad claim by him. And even if he doesn't win fighter of the year, I feel as though he has now laid out a gauntlet of criteria. Khabib climbed no spots, by example. I mean, if that's the criteria we're going to go on, you see where this becomes a problem? We have no criteria for fighter of the year, but Martin, Marvin was smart enough to lay it out for us, which was who has gained the most? Who's climbed the most spots? I moved 10. Okay, great. Well, if you're going to beat him, you now have to surpass that. To, is he, is he out of sign? He didn't move any spots. Steve Miocic didn't move any spots. I mean, you see the problem? You see the problem where maybe that's not a foolproof statement. But it's something worth discussing, and I'm not sure that Vittori isn't the first ever to lay out some kind of a, 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 a litmus test for us to judge fighter of the year. I liked it, but it also got me thinking, who are my top five? Who are my top five fighters of the year? I have to go number one. There's no recency bias on this. I must tell you, I would have told you a week ago if he wins, and of course I'm talking to Figueredo, if he wins, he will be my number one. I say this largely because of his activity. I also believe that Figueredo is actually going to win this award at the World MMA Awards, but it will be based around his activity. Four times up, four times, he was victorious. He lost one time, which was to the scale. I seem to be the only one with a problem with that, and even I am saying that Figueredo is the fighter of the year. Now, hear me out on this list. you got to hear me out on this list. Okay, at number two, I put Stipe Miocic. Now, Stipe Miocic would obviously not win it for the same reasons I just laid out for Figueredo, such as activity. Stipe would not win it by uh, the reasons laid out by Vittori, which is moving in spot, but I think he had one of the hardest fights of the year. 
he fought his true nemesis. He fought a man who had already beaten him. He fought in a true heavyweight trilogy. Say what you want about weight classes and who's the deepest and who's the best. The most coveted class in combat is the heavyweights. Stipe did this in the middle of a pandemic. Don't forget he's a first responder. Did this on the back end of a very serious injury. It was to his eye. Can't think of many more body parts. More important and more sensitive than that organ. Right? Your eye. Goes out there, beats Daniel. Daniel retires after it. I have Stipe as the second most meaningful fighter of 2020. Number three, I have Chemayev. Now this one, Marvin Vittori may agree with me with. He may be forced to agree with me that Chemayev is at least within this discussion because Vittori himself is saying, how many times you weigh in, how many times you go out there, how willing were you, and who did you beat to move your own ranking up? One knock on Chemayev, no, he did not beat a number four guy like Vittori did, but he was willing to try. The COVID came, the he and the Leon, and and this whole thing ends up missing. He was willing to try. Certainly by star potential, nobody has covered the spread. Nobody went from an unknown to a main event in 2020 aside from Hazmat Chemayev. Number four, this one's going to surprise you, Conor McGregor. How can you put Conor McGregor, who's only fought one time in 2020? Well, I'll tell you how I can do it, because numbers don't lie. Numbers just simply don't lie. Connor fought January 20th, 2020. Tickets went on sale, and they lasted for less than two days. Completely sold out, $10 million plus dollar gate, which comes in as the fourth largest gate in UFC history, spots one, two, and three, all held by Connor McGregor. So the only record he didn't beat was his own records. He was in the ring for such a small amount of time, I cannot remember. He threw 20 strikes, 19 of which landed. He took a total of zero effective strikes back. There's no other fighter that can possibly touch that. There's no other fighter that has any of those numbers. Is that the litmus test? Vittori laid out a, a, a different scale, and Vittori's the first guy with the courage to ever lay it out. By the way, I mean, I got to give Marvin a lot of credit here because he's the first to come in and say, here's what we're going to judge this by. Connor has a lot of numbers, though, that support him. Number five, I got the bullet. I got the bullet. It largely has to do with growth. First off, she had two matches. Nobody touched her. No, uh, She lost one round, which was like shocking news that she even lost a round. Her skills and her growth, not only on her feet, where she came in as a stand-up fighter, her skills on the ground, which haven't been called into question, yet they're both getting better. You have a champion of the world who's getting better, and now she's trying actively to fight Amanda Nunes, which is a fight that she is not likely to win, evident of the fact that they already fought and she didn't win. She is trying to get herself beat. At a minimum, she is trying to get herself tested. We can all agree that she is a true competitor by even starting that dialogue. Bullet's got to make the list, at least in my opinion. Those are my top five. I didn't have Batori, though I do recognize he laid out a very special criteria there. And I'm not the guy that's going to research that, but I will ask you if you are that guy. Has anybody else besides Marvin climbed 10 spots within 2020? Stephen Thompson was talking, he was weighing in on Chemayev, and Stephen Thompson said, Chemayev's ranking and push is a slap in the face of everybody in this division who has been working hard for a period of time. Hold that thought, and that was not verbatim, but I'm damn close. The message is spot on. Stephen Thompson is saying that Chemayev getting the push, talking about main events, talking about being a headline all over the place, talking about if, if he beats Leon, he's going to 
go right into title talks. Is a slap in the face to the guys who have been here for a period of time doing really hard fights all across the board, all across the world, in and out of a pandemic. I mean, he makes a very fair point, right? He does make a very fair point if, and here I have a question. If I was talking to Stephen Thompson right now, here's what I would simply ask him. If you believe that Chemayev is not deserving of the attention and the meteoric rise and the push and the placement on the cards of being in discussions for a title fight, and you are willing to fight Chemayev, boom, nothing to see here. If your phone has rang and you have said yes to Chemayev, or your phone has not rang, but if it did, you were willing to say yes to Chemayev, you have a right to the argument. I do not know if that happened to Wonderboy. My guess is if somebody asks to fight Wonderboy, they're fighting Wonderboy. I've never heard even a rumor that Stephen Thompson has sidestepped anybody. But that is still a very fair question because there's a number of guys who that would not pertain to. There are a number of guys within that division who have also complained about Chemayev who did refuse to fight him. In fact, they used as their argument to not have to fight him that he didn't have a ranking, hadn't been around long enough, was too big of a risk, and therefore unworthy. Now, we all understand that that is dribble, mindless, doublespeak, for I'm scared of the guy, and I'm not willing to risk it. It is also a larger dialogue on the problems, the unforeseen problems of the rankings. We used to not have them, guys. 2012, I remember where I was the first time I ever heard we were going to have rankings. The rankings were put in place for a couple of reasons. Number one reason was to be in line with other sports, of which rank, all the way down to amateur NCAA-style sports who do what we call a seed for a term, a seeding position. So knowing a ranking and how everybody's doing in what would be known as the postseason is very, uh, in the preseason, is very important to go into the postseason. That was the number one motivation and the catalyst to go ahead and have a ranking system. The byproduct of that is now you're going to have controversy. You're going to have talking points. You're going to make a guy like mine's job real easy to sit around and debate these things. Never once was it considered in the pie, okay, that's why I call this an unintentional consequence, never once was it considered that the athletes themselves would buy in and become so attached to these rankings that they didn't want to risk it and or use that to dictate who they were going to fight. The rankings don't matter aside from keeping in line with other sports, having a talking point. This is proof of it, not evidence the other way. Proof that they do not matter is that Chemayev is not ranked, is the fastest rising star of 2020, absolutely meteoric, amongst the three fastest to rise in industry history. Brock Lesnar came in, could do a main event right out of the gate, could sell out an arena right out of the gate, and then Conor McGregor, who had two fights before he was only main event and selling out arenas. But those are, those are unicorns. And then you have Chemayev, who can have three fights, none of which were main events. Fourth fight, main event. Oh, and by the way, if you win, you're likely fighting for a title, based on how you look in the win. Right? I mean, it's one of these rare things. The mere fact that he is not ranked and is now going to be a main event does not discredit the integrity of the ranking in the least. It furthers the larger point that those are never supposed to matter. And they just simply don't. 
And any fighter who doesn't have the ranking that he wants agrees with me. Oh, well, rankings don't matter. And any fighter who clings to a ranking, it's a little bit weird anyway. Are you the champion or aren't you? Who cares if there's a number four by your name? I can share with you the masses don't. I can share with you the media doesn't. I can share with you ESPN and Sports Illustrated aren't putting you on the cover of anything. I realize that's very cold. If you're the number four guy in the world, you've worked very hard. That is a major recognition of hard work and success. Larger point, though, how do I even find out? Very true. I'm being very sincere when I ask you. I know there's a place, and it's got to be somethingsomething.com. It has to be. I swear to you on a stack of Bibles, guys, I don't know where that is. Is it called MMARankings.com? Is it called UFCRankings.com? Is it called I rank people within the sport of the free format fighting systems.com? I don't know. I do not even know where you go to get these. I did not know rankings came out on a Tuesday until Khabib Nurmagomedov five Saturdays ago was holding a microphone, asked for a number one ranking when the rankings come out on Tuesday. That's how I even found out that's when they come out. And I feel as though I just told you guys more education on that than you ever had. Nobody knows what these rankings are. Nobody knows who does the rankings. Apparently they come out on Tuesdays, according to Khabib, in a post-fight interview five weeks ago. I take him at his word. No one knows anything about them. Placement on the card. Period. If you guys are trying to manage your own careers, and you're not very smart, you shouldn't do that, but the only person dumber than you is your managers, right? The only person that knows less than MMA, other than you guys doing MMA, is the people that are managing your careers. If they are ever talking about rankings, they should be talking about placement on the card, period. Start with main card. Go to co, get to main. You've made it. You have made it in this business, period. If you could never, ever have a ranking next to your name, great. If you can main event and headline a show on ESPN, you have something that you can be proud of, quantifiable to show your grandchildren. Do you understand the difference? The rankings are made up. They are made for guys like me to have something to talk about. You guys have ruined it. You flipped the script. I don't ever talk about them because I don't respect them. I also don't do it because it's all that comes out of your mouth and I don't get to be unique. If you guys would shut up, you would allow a guy like me who influences the industry to then influence the power of the number next to your name. When you talk about your own damn ranking as a way to not go and do something, I don't want to be like you. I will never be like you. Don't mention your number. Leave it to other people to do. Don't talk about this fight doesn't make sense. Leave it to other people to do. The main thing you want in this sport is an easy opponent for a big paycheck. That's what, hey, who do you want to fight? I want to fight. I want the hardest fight. I want to challenge myself. I want to fight for the chance. Here's who I want to fight. I want to fight the easiest guy with the greatest weight discrepancy in the largest arena for the largest paycheck. Can you make that happen? Okay, you can't make that happen. Great, then let's start working backwards. But that's who I want to fight. If you choose to weigh in on the unfairness of Chamaya, you're choosing to recognize that you don't understand the business. So now you just lost respect. If you don't understand the business that you're in, I can't respect you. And we're seeing it happen around us. Floyd Mayweather is getting ready to box one of the Paul brothers. There's two Paul brothers, Logan and Jay. Floyd's getting ready to box one of them. And frankly, whichever one walks out, nobody's going to know the difference anyway. In all fairness, one of the Paul brothers was just a co-main event of a boxing card that Baduke Jack was on. And Baduke wasn't the main event, which means Baduke opened for one of the Paul brothers. And the Paul brother took on a gentleman who had never boxed before, but he'd been in the NBA. I'm only sharing that with you because we are not in crazy land over here in MMA yet. We're not in crazy land. But making believe that what you have done in the past 
therefore is going to be a re- reward for the future or that anyone's going to think that you should get an easy or favorable match. It just doesn't work that way. It's a weird thing to talk about. Very weird. And the rankings as they were intended to be discussed by guys like me who will make your case for you isn't going to happen when you're out there being a little bitch about your own ranking that nobody knows even where it came from. You're listening to You're Welcome with Jail Sonnen. I want to thank one of my new sponsors for supporting this show. And I know a lot of my listeners, especially the hard-headed ones, are going to love them. Do you love peanut butter? Do you love whiskey? Then you're going to love Rams Point Peanut Butter Whiskey. Rams Point locks horns with smooth peanut butter flavor to create an intense spirit worth fighting for. Enjoy it as a straight shot. Put it on the rocks. Or as an amazing cocktail, Rams Point Whiskey is a fun addition to any party or that special night with someone special. They also have recipes that will blow your mind. Let's start with the Rams Point PB&J shot. Imagine you're at a party. The host says, who wants a shot of PB&J? Of course you're going to be in. One part Rams Point, one part grape liqueur, and you've just created an incredible new version of an old favorite. And you can add other flavored liquors like strawberry, cherry, or wild berry to create your own version. And this one is genius. Imagine putting your favorite peanut butter around the rim of a glass. Add a shot of Rams Point peanut butter whiskey and you've just created magic. Make sure to embrace hard-headed spirit this holiday season with Rams Point Peanut Butter Whiskey. Whether it's getting together with a group of friends, safely of course, or that someone special, or if you're just looking to relax, Rams Point Peanut Butter Whiskey is the way to go. And for the truly hard-headed, check out Rams Peanut Butter Whiskey on Twitter and always hashtag appropriately, Rams Point Whiskey. Hashtag... Point Peanut Butter Whiskey. Hashtag Point Made. Go check it out now. Now back to your welcome with Jail Sonnen. Cody Garbrandt came out and he said, and I quote, he's talking to Henry Cejudo, looks like it's us March 6th, pick the weight class. Henry responded and said, nice try, Cody. You know if I come back, it's only for gold. What was Cody thinking? What was Garbrandt thinking on, on multiple levels? First off, where did the heat between he and Henry come from? Whatever that story is, I missed it, and I don't want to miss it. I love when Cody gets mad at somebody. There's nothing more entertaining. I mean, Cody's one of those guys that gets pissed off, right? And whatever happened here with Henry, when Henry responds to Peter, you're going to have some fun there, too. I missed it. What is going on between these two? That fight, to me, makes zero sense, unless there's a backstory. If this is on personal grudge, I take it all back. I love I love a grudge match, and we very seldomly get them in this space. And if Cody, who is said to be the number one contender for Figueredo's title, said to be the only guy who can disrupt or come between the immediate rematch of Figueredo Monero, Moreno, it would seem that this must be pretty damn personal to Cody. Cody, who is going to have to make an actual lifestyle change, not just a cut down to 125, he's going to have to change his life the same way as Frankie Edgar had to do to go to 35 or Jose Aldo had to do to go to 135. It's going to be a lifestyle change. 
So if Cody is making said change, and by the way, is willing to put it all on hold and go to any weight class that Henry wants, I have to believe this is personal. I have to. But I don't miss anything in this. I know Cody. I know Henry. I follow the sport. I don't know this story. I don't know what happened here. And back to what I'm saying of what is Cody doing, does this tie in to his potential, or as he sees it, lack thereof, an immediate title shot if he goes down to 125? I mean, if you look at the timing of Cody going after Henry out of for where I'm sitting, nowhere. It would lead you to believe Cody, who's thinking a step ahead, believes he's not going to drop down to a title shot. Believes that the fight between Moreno and Figueredo was so good that it excludes him for the time being. And therefore, being a smart guy, is looking for something else big for himself to do in the interim. That is what it would, that would make the absolute most sense, intelligently speaking. Is that's what's happening. And when Cody also said to Henry, and let's go back and look at it, let's, let's look at it real literal. And you should never take a tweet real literal. That's not the point of Twitter. Do any, do any of us tweet real literal? But let's say he did. Let's say, if we're to take him at his word, it looks like it's you and me March 6th. What looks like that? I follow the press conferences. There was absolutely no indication to anything like, what do you mean it looks like it's us? Cody, what do you mean it looks like it's you? Well, it's just down to you and me. Adam and Eve, two people here on the whole world, I guess we're going to end up together. What do you mean, what, what do you mean Cody, it looks like it's us? What, look, what looks like it's you? Has Henry fainted that he's coming back? Did they take your title? I was on ESPN three nights ago telling the world that I believe Cody Garbrandt is going to fight Figueredo for the world championship and this whole immediate rematch business needs to be put on pause. That the rematch between Figueredo and uh, Monero, Molinero, Moranio, the opponent. Who did Figueredo just fight? Monero? Moreno. Moreno is going to marinate a little bit. It's just one of those things that's going to, to marinate a little bit. Insert Cody Garbrandt. One guy's opinion. Where is Cody and Henry coming from? They also have the same manager, which maybe that means they're friendly. Maybe this was a spoof. Well, no, you don't come to that opinion when Henry swats him away with the truth. Right, if Henry would have had some fun with them, you go, okay, they're having a back and forth for the holidays. Okay, we get it. Henry swatted him away and said, nice try. You know, if I come back, it's only for gold. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course we all know that. We all know if Henry comes back, it's a main event with points for the title the same way as he left. So what is happening here? What is happening here and why? And why is it, what information does Cody have that led him to believe I need to find something else to do, I'm not going to get this immediate shot? Sincere questions by me. Of course I could just call Cody and ask him. I'd rather speculate about Cody behind his back. Wouldn't you? As we are days removed from Saturday's pay-per-view, the more of a problem the mess created by Charles Oliveira, I don't know if he realizes what a mess he created. Do you guys, what do you do with him? What do you do with him? There's no wrong answer. I understand that. I understand that guys that are ranked number five in the world, he'll now be three in the world, can slide. Anybody in the top ten will do. Number nine guy, number eight guy, however you want to do it. But that's that's for a guy that does this. It's not what Oliver's been doing. Oliver hasn't been going up and down like a stock market. He's only been going up. To take him after he's only gone up from a number three ranking and give him a four, five, eight, nine, ten would be very bizarre. 
There's no way to package that and sell that to us, the viewer, other than the truth, which is the least fun option, by the way, in promotion. And secondly, which is, we're just looking to keep him busy. We have nothing for him to do. We understand he could fight for a championship now. We don't have a championship match for him. Even if our champion Khabib comes back, Khabib is not going to give the blessing to Charles Oliver. There is absolutely no championship fight. He's only got two other spots to go. Everybody's tied up. Connor, Poirier, Gaethje, Chandler, everybody's busy. What do you do with Charles Oliveira? Do you put him in a backup spot? Is he the new backup guy? Because it's, it's a way to stay focused. It's a way to make weight. It's a way to keep your travel schedule. It's a way to stay in the gym. By the way, that comes with a financial incentive. All the while kicking the can. Or do you do with him what, what, what had it just happened with Francis? Which is, you know what? Stipe and Daniel are going to fight. That's still a month away. But if it's going to happen, you're going to do absolutely nothing. Till that fight is done. Till they both have a recovery time a contract signing window, a training camp, a destination, a location, and an actual uh, venue to fight. I mean, it's one of these things. It's very rare that that happened to, to Francis, but Francis was so scary and so dominant, it was the right decision from a safety standpoint for other fighters. Just as a way of trying to, to, to appease Francis Ngannou, we got to put somebody else out there who's going to get knocked out viciously, take time off their career, for one less than one minute of entertainment. I mean, that, that's where it got with Francis. Hey, this is a dangerous guy. We've got to be very careful with who we put him in there with. I understand that Oliveira, while dominant, is not as scary as Francis. I understand those things, but you, you must concede back to me. It's very problematic once we now have the information that we now have on just how good and how dominant and the kind of beating this guy can dish out. It's very important that we now match him up accordingly. The other side of the coin is how do you have a rising star who's only go one way and now all of a sudden you send him the other way? Let's say you concede that back to me. Okay, fine. Well, if he's ranked number three, we now only have, we now only have two spots for him. Now imagine, if you will, you do play out the Gaethje, Chandler, Connor, Poirier scenario and to everybody's surprise, Khabib announces he's back. Khabib goes, by the way, I'm back. Khabib is not going to give that opportunity to Charles Oliveira. It's just not the kind of young star on the rise that is going to get Khabib's attention. It's just not. So, if we now know he can't fight for a championship as we sit here and talk right now because the champion is an influx, if later we find out he's no longer an influx, he's still going to draw from a new pool, right? Talk about Khabib. Khabib's likelihood of coming back while being very slim, if not opposite Conor McGregor, becomes none. Now he has no motivation. The one thing that Conor could offer Khabib is a financial motivation, and Conor will also know how to insult Khabib just the right way. If he's got to go after his country, if he's got to go after his family, as he's done, he will do whatever it takes to make Khabib go, hey, the buck stops here. None of those other guys have that ability. Chandler would offer a new face and a new challenge to Khabib, which he would find more intriguing than doing Gaethje again, which is very hard to repackage and sell, or taking on Poirier again, which I I think Khabib really likes Poirier and out of respect would do that, but I don't know out of motivation. Do you see the problem? So now let's look at the snare and eliminate Khabib. If we've still identified Conor, Poirier, Gaethje, Chandler, and those guys are going to go, what are they fighting for? 
If they're fighting for a chance to go fight Oliveira, what are they fighting for? Let's just do that. I mean, if that's what this is about, if the prize becomes Oliveira or the end destination becomes Oliveira, the, some of these fights haven't even happened. Gaethje Chandler's not even signed. That's me just speculating based on the pieces left on the board. Then let's, let's just not sign that fight and put one of them in there with Oliveira. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? What is he going to do next and against who is he going to do it? And there's guys that can stand up to Oliveira. There's guys that can beat him. He could beat them too. I mean, Dan Hooker can beat Oliveira. Oliveira can beat Hooker too. I get it. Is that the route you go? If you do, you're now risking eliminating one player from the board. But Oliveira doesn't come without problems. There are very few guys that do not have a grasp of English that are ever given an opportunity to fight for a championship. It does happen. I could name a couple of them for you that are sitting champions right now. Figueredo comes to mind. But it's very rare. It's very rare. Nobody's going to be in a big hurry to do a huge favor for a guy who's a total stud and on the right. They're just not. And as much as he's a hero with us, but we're the hardcores. We're not the ones that matter. We represent 15% of the market. If he cannot go on SportsCenter and captivate the little old lady in Iowa to stop what she's doing and tune into this content, you see the problem? You see the problem? But you still, out of an integrity, have to do something with him. It has to be something special. There's just not a lot of options right now at 155. I mean, this division is completely log-jammed, and he just threw a wrench into it. In a good way. This is meant to be positive to Charles Olives here, right? I mean, I'm I'm attempting to compliment him. I'm attempting to compliment just what a wrench he threw into such a powerful division. Whatever he does next is going to be spectacular, and I look forward to it. But if I was to guess for you what that's going to be, and I'm forced to look at all the different evidence and all the different possible uh, turns and maneuvers that the division can take, I've got, I'm stumped. I got a big problem. Unless I want to intervene right now with a potential Gaethje Chandler match, which could potentially draw into Oliveira. If I potentially want to do that, but I haven't signed this match, then just don't sign it. Take one of those two guys right now, Chandler or Gaethje, and put him in there with Olives. But what is Oliver? What's he do then? His situation doesn't greatly change until we get some very clear answers from the Khabib title situation. We're in a little bit of a jam. We're in a little bit of a jam to start going out and piecing all these things together. And by the way, we don't have any help from Oliveira. Oliveira has yet to make a case for what should be next. And even if he had said case, if he does it through a translator, it doesn't work the same. So it's going to be a slow build and a slow rise. But I think if you looked at Charles's career, we've, we've taken quite a bit of time here. He's hurt himself tremendously in terms of a marketing potential. How, how much more does he have to do before we step in and go, look, you've done your part, now it's our, our turn to do ours. There's an answer to that. There is a time when that will no longer matter. I'm just sharing for you, if if you're attempting to project a booking for Oliveira, you're going to need an immense level of creativity. So Vegas came out with a betting line on Masvidal versus Colby Covington. And I will tell you, it seems as though that is always the step to meaning a fight is going to happen. Like, Vegas doesn't ever have any inside knowledge. It's not like Dana's office is calling the bookie. But if you if you do go back and trace the sport historically, once Vegas finally takes odds on somebody, usually that fight happens. 
As a matter of fact, as I'm talking to you off the top of my head, I cannot think of a time that they have ever taken odds and said fight didn't happen, or at least was booked to happen. Maybe it got interfered with illness or injury, something like this, but where the, where the organization made the match. That one seems so glaringly obvious to me that it's frustrating. It's frustrating for some reason this match isn't announced. It's frustrating that 2020 goes by and Colby hasn't been booked in something. It's frustrating me. I believe Masvidal's only fight, it was the one against Moosman, was back in March. Even if I'm wrong and that was May or June, I mean, it was such a significant period of time ago. Masvidal is the biggest star in MMA, period, right now. How much damn money do these guys have? Just by example, I'd be, I would be up Dana's ass every single day if I did not have a match booked for five months, Masvidal, for a year, Colby, particularly when there's a huge match out there with a guy who's in the same spot as I, which is he doesn't have a match booked. So I've always wondered, what happened here? What is the holdup? What, is, what are we waiting on? To get this match. And I don't know, maybe those guys are a pain in the ass that I don't know about it behind the scenes. I don't know. I don't know. I cannot imagine that Masvidal returns against anyone other than Colby. I cannot imagine that Colby comes back opposite anybody that isn't named Masvidal, particularly when the only other thing that Masvidal is interested in doing is Kamara Usman, who is going to be fighting Gilbert Burns. I mean, it just seems as though if you're not going to get your way, here's a way. And we all want, is there any fight that you can think of, guys, that we want to see more than that, that we aren't going to see? I mean, in terms of a press conference, at a minimum, has been held that promises this fight's going to happen, at a minimum, particularly with all of the distance and time put in between. What's keeping these guys? What is it? Is it money that they both have just made so damn much? They're both competitors. They have nobody else to compete. I mean, the more I talk about this, I, I realize I just keep saying the same thing over and over in it with the different words. But is there any more complex that we have to have? The athletes want to face each other. They're within the same weight class. Neither is hurt or injured. The fans want to see it. The media wants to see it. The promoter wants to put it on. What seems to be stopping us here? Vegas has now come out and taking odds on it, which, by the way, is almost dead even. If you want to split hairs, Colby is the favorite. He's a minus 140. That's dead. You're a one anything. You're even money. In the broad stroke term, you're even money. People are believing in Masvidal. People have not given up faith on Colby. As I digest this thing and continue to repeat the same words back to you, I'm just not seeing any box that we've yet to check except for a contract being sent over. Are we looking for a date? Are we looking for a venue? What appears to be up in the air? There was discussion at one point of having Colby and Masvidal fight acknowledging they were going to be a co-main event. I cannot recall who was top of the bill. It was a world title fight. Acknowledging that they were going to be a co-main event, but making this the first ever co-main event that was going to be five rounds. So I mean, this has been thought out. This has been overthought. If they're a co-main event, they should not fight five rounds. I'll be the first one to say it. You want to fight five rounds, you got to put up the strap. Good news there is Masvidal brings one with him. To just make a co-main event and declare that this is such a huge match, it doesn't belong in co-main event status, then don't put it as the co-main. If you are going to put it as the co-main, don't mess with the rules, right? But the mere fact that this was discussed and thought of means I'm not the first to the party. There's other people that have already started the music. I'm just wondering when we're going to start dancing. Does Connor need a dominant win over Dustin Poirier? This is a question that I was asked earlier. And I've processed it a little bit because I instantly came to the answer of no. I concluded no. I go, hey, Chad, give this a little bit of thought. I'm still at no. 
I don't know that Connor needs a dominant win. Connor needs a win, sure, but I, I have a bigger question, I guess. Okay, let me counter the question with a question. What are we doing with Connor McGregor? Why is he here? Is he here just for fun? Is just some big cash grab and we're all supposed to kick it on expense and we like Connor enough that we're willing to do it? Or is he looking to make a meaningful title run? If he's not here for the title, I don't know what we're doing here. Connor has been pretty clear through uh, 2020 that he is not happy with his schedule or lack thereof. I like that. I like a guy who's a competitor who wants to compete and is unhappy that he isn't being given enough opportunities to compete. I like the Chemayev. I like the Kevin Holland. I like the whole bit about get me in there and get me in there quickly. It was a gimmick and a shtick that only Cowboy Cerrone was able to run with. And now some other guys are coming forward. Connor seems to be on the other side of it, but not uh, not willingly. So I like that in Connor. But are we here for a championship run? Because if we're not, I don't know what we're doing. Connor can fight for a title anytime he wants to. They wanted to make Connor versus Khabib. Even in light of Gaethje versus Khabib or Tony versus Khabib. Whatever it's going to happen, let's, but it was Connor for a title. It wasn't necessarily Connor opposite his nemesis from Dagestan. It was about a title opportunity. Okay, great. Is that what Connor is here for? If so, boom, then let's fast track him. And I really don't know. I do not believe that he has to look good against Poirier. I don't think he has to be dominate or destroy him. If you get the jump on Dustin Poirier, we all will acknowledge what a fine job you did. You go all five rounds, and it's back and forth, and you win three, and he wins two, but at the end of the night, the judges decide, and the referee raises your hand. That is all you have to do against Dustin Poirier, and not only do I have that opinion, Khabib has that opinion. Khabib has said, the road to me is through Dustin Poirier. That was purely out of respect, but Khabib has been in the octagon with a number of the top fighters, and he came away saying, that's the guy. Okay. But it still brings me back to my conclusion. No, Connor doesn't have to go out there and show off. He doesn't have to land that lightning bolt uh, uh, left hand and put a guy down. He just needs to win. And I'm not getting my way with Connor anyway, because my way doesn't have anything to do with 155. 155 and Connor was interesting for one reason, which is a potential rematch with Khabib. If Khabib's gone, I don't even I don't know what we're doing. Is it about a title run? Okay, great. I'll shut up. But if it's not about a title run, it's about big and meaningful matches. Those were at 170. It was so exciting when Connor left 145 pounds. And it was only exciting because we had all new guys, all new faces, and all fresh parody. If we do that again and we do it at 170, I, I have never been one of the fools that thinks Usman is going to go destroy Connor. I would pick Usman to beat Connor. That's a conversation for another day. Nobody's running over Connor McGregor. Just isn't going to happen. Masvidal versus Conor McGregor is amongst the biggest fights the sport could possibly make. It would sit right up there with Adesanya versus Jones and possibly eclipse it. Possibly eclipse that fight. I don't know why we aren't looking more. If we're doing the super fight route at 170 pounds with Conor, the fact that he's being forced to make championship weight of 155 pounds tells me maybe there is a championship run. That's a pretty cool story, too. I just feel that the audience is due the respect of knowing why are we here. If we're here to eliminate Dustin Poirier from contention, it has to be for something. And there's nothing greater than a main event against the guy who the sitting champion Khabib says is the guy and is your ticket to the Golden Goose, which is me. Even if Khabib has removed himself, there's still a lot that matters in this match. Why are we here? Unless Connor wants to have a busy 2001, as he said he wanted to have in 2020, then let's quit taking it from him. Let's give him what he wants. We want Connor. Connor appears to, uh, to want us right now. Great. Everybody's saying the same thing. Let's keep him busy. And where does that take him? I'm just coming back to my initial premise of the answer of the question. No, I do not believe that Connor has to be dominant in victory. I don't think he has to be overly impressive in victory. 
I think that Connor is due, quite frankly, this fight is going to take first on January 23rd. To put that in perspective for you, his last fight was on January 20th, which means it will be over a year removed, 367 days exactly. And to remind you of when he fought Cowboy Cerrone, he had been removed 500 days, put on arguably the best performance he's ever had. By the numbers, it would be amongst the greatest performances in UFC history, only to be outdone on the numbers by Vitor Belfort versus Wanderlei Silva. When Vitor threw for 13 punches, landed 11 of them, took zero strikes back, and was out of there in 14 seconds. Connor threw 20 strikes, landed 19, was out of there in 20 seconds, took zero damage back. You see what I'm saying? I mean, that's, and that's just by the numbers. So I don't know that we would, uh, based on history of Connor, expect that Connor's going to be a little sluggish coming to this fight. I thought he would be, based on history, going into the Cowboy fight. Turned out I was wrong. Turned out Connor's just that damn good. But he also did it without the deficit of having to do weight reduction. Ate all he wanted, felt big, big and strong as he could possibly get, still came in three pounds under the limit. I like him at 170. If we're going the super fight route, if this is about a championship run, great. Like that equally as much, but I am owed that as a paying audience member. I am owed that to have that told to me. And that's one piece of the story that I feel has been left out. Cyril gone. What an interesting year he had. Five fights canceled through four different opponents. A serious injury. He didn't disclose what it was. He, he was talking about a serious injury. Comes back, beats a former world champion, remains undefeated. I think he was 10-0 coming into the fight. Whatever he was, he still got the O. Meaningful guy. That makes you a meaningful guy in the heavyweight division. One big miss. A glaring miss. He came out in an interview and said, I don't want to call anybody out. I will never call anybody out. I just want to do my job. Gone. That is your job. Your job 100% is to make us interested. Your job 100% is to make sure we know what you want to do. We are then going to do one of two things. We're going to laugh at you and try to stop you from getting what you want because by nature of a fan, we're jerks. Or... We're going to love the idea, jump on board, and help you to get it. Those are the two options. Make no mistake, it's one of those. Your job is to tell us what it is. To say you want to go and do your job while being in the process of not doing your job. If you're doing an interview, the interview's job is to be interesting. You did an interview that was not interesting. You failed. You failed at your job. The punches and kicks are the same thing that the other 556 guys on the roster, 111 of which are in your division, do. It's called the unified rules. To separate yourself and make yourself interesting. Look, Gon's kind of a handsome guy. He also speaks pretty well when you listen to him talk. He's got a kind of a cool voice. You saw the interaction between him and Junior post-fight. There was a lot of personality coming out of Gon. I mean, to knock a guy out cold and then be able to give a guy a hug and apologize in case his shot was illegal that you didn't intend to be, that was a pretty cool and likable guy. I'm watching Gon on this thing go, man, he's getting called out on TV and accused by his opponent, who is loved, of doing something illegal. And he's not denying it. He stopped and looked at the tape and said, boy, that sure is close to behind your your head. That that might have been an illegal shot. I mean, there was just a lot there. It was a very tough spot that he was put in. It was an organic moment. He looked like a super cool dude, where I would be now interested in what he has to say. I now would stop, as I did this morning, to click on a potential interview by this new super cool dude who's completely undefeated. And then he has nothing to say. He not only has nothing to say, 
He says he wants to do his job while openly recognizing he doesn't know what that is, which is to make us interested in the punches and kicks because the punches and the kicks do not sell themselves. And this is coming from a kickboxer. For him, he is a kickboxer, much like me, who was a wrestler. I worked my ass off to wrestle in front of my mom and dad and potentially my teammates' mom and dad. Nobody else cared about our sport. He comes from kickboxing. He shares my pain. He's used to doing this in front of nobody. The pandemic hasn't affected him at all. He's never fought in front of a crowd. Crowds don't show up to kickboxing. They don't show up to kickboxing because kickboxers are as boring as wrestlers. And they would come out and be dumb enough to do an interview saying, I'm going to do my job while not doing your job. Why agree to an interview if you're not going to say anything to the interviewer? Your job is not to go out and fight anybody they offer you. Shut up. Who do you want to fight? Somebody gets you up in the morning. Somebody. And if it's the title, if it's just purely the title, well, one guy has the title. His name's Stipe, so say his damn name. Don't call it the title like it's on a mythical creature. It's on a mythical figure. Who do you want? If you want to fight Stipe, it has nothing to do with Stipe. That would bore me, but it wouldn't bore me while gagging me with a smurf like your interview did. Say Stipe. Then come out with the boring response of only because he has the championship and that's all I'm getting. I can live with that. I'm not going to dress you down in an interview about it. I can live with it. I'm not going to love it. Coming out and saying you're going to do your job with just to fight. No, it's not. No, it is not. Anybody that explained that to you has done a malfeasance against you. If you got that from a manager, get rid of that manager. Instantly. Today. Your job is to make us interested in watching you do your job. It's an extremely unique profession. No other job works that way. None. This is unique. It's not to punch and kick a man more times than he punches and kicks you. That's called the unified rules. Your job is to make us interested in watching you participate under the unified rules. Come on, man. You're listening to You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Guys, do you need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yes, free. No subscription. No fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge watch. You're going to binge shows. You're going to be up to speed on the latest news. You're going to catch live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Now, back to your welcome with Chael Sonnen. Marlon Vera, better known as Cheeto. Cheeto Vera, getting ready to take on... Jose Aldo, this weekend, was talking about Sugar Sean O'Malley. And he said to Sugar Sean O'Malley, you are a B-I-T-C-H forever. And it was the forever part that made me pop for the line. I mean, that's a long time. That's a long time to be a B-I-T-C-H, right? Like, there's nothing you can do that's redeemable where you... you <laughs> Why is it got to be forever? What? what? He can't ever change his mind? He's just stuck in this weird purgatory of having to be a B-I-T-C-H? So, that was an interesting line, all right? I think I'm giving credit to Cheeto for the line. I think I liked it. I just don't know why it has to be forever. Thought I'd bring that to your attention. Also made me take a little closer look at this fight. Cheeto Vera versus Jose Aldo stylistically is interesting. I mean, that's going to be a good action-packed match, but you also have, like, storylines matter. Cheeto Vera, in large part, has been this incredible story because he stubbed his toe in the UFC early, and then he goes on a run where he gets brought in against Sugar Sean, 
where that run is to come to an abrupt halt by all those involved, from the betters to the viewers to the pundits. I mean, that's just the way that was going to go. Well, Vera had other plans. And you'll recall that night. That night has pissed Vera off more than anybody else involved, including Sugar Sean. Sugar Sean was a heavy favorite. It was a good close battle. Sugar Sean hurt his ankle somewhere within that match, and therefore Vera didn't get his credit. Because the match went down based on the ankle as opposed to what a good and close contest this was before. I don't blame Vera for being irritated that people didn't want to give him his due. I don't blame him for that. It is the way that goes. You guys remember the first fight, Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman, by example? When Anderson Silva goes down, but he was doing some level of showboating when Weidman caught him, put him down. And that was always the story after that fight. Well, sure, well, you know, Weidman beat him, but Anderson wasn't, you know, he wasn't taking that serious. Negating the seven and a half minutes that had gone on prior, every single one of those minutes won by Chris Weidman. But because the very end looked like something different when you replayed it on video, that's what you left with. I share that because Vera Fair and Square beat Sean. Did the ankle thing happen? Yes, it happened. That was part of the story. But Vera is more upset about this fight and has attacked Sean harder and more often than Sean has ever done to to Vera or to redeem or explain his own side of things. It's just been one of these things. And I feel as though we're in this changing time because Vera, whether he got his full due or not, definitely got his due. He definitely got a bounce. I mean, now he's going to find himself in there on ESPN with the former champion of the world, future Hall of Famer and Jose Aldo. I mean, he is reaping some rewards for that victory, whether he fully understands that or not. Now, I bring that to you because... What would happen with Jose Aldo with a defeat, right? It's that tough question. You got one of your heroes. You grew up following the guy. 11, 12, 13, 16 years Jose Aldo's been around whipping people. It was 11 years the night that he went down to Conor McGregor. 11 years undefeated. Uh, Okay, take that into perspective. And how many years ago was that? That was at least four years ago, wasn't it? So 15 years of Jose Aldo in some capacity beating people up. I mean, it's one of those things where there's not a lot of room for error particularly at the age that he's at and with the opportunities he's already been afforded. The UFC is very proud to hang their hat on the idea we only have champions or future champions. Once you prove you are no longer a contender, you no longer fight here. That is a broad stroke. I get that not everything falls into that, but if you do take that in mind, there would not be a matter of wanting to pay your dues or pay your respects to Jose Aldo and his long career and make sure that eventually you get him that main event or that feature bout or that title bout. It already happened. It already happened. So if he cannot climb his way up or at least give the perception they're up, what do you do with Jose Aldo? Well, those are very harsh words. We're going to cut Jose Aldo? Oh, terrible. That's blasphemy. But that same dialogue was here Five days ago, it just happened to pertain to Junior Dos Santos. What's going to happen if Junior fails? I don't know the answer to that. I'm just aware that this phenomenon is here, and I'm also aware of the phenomenon of the way that the sport works. You break into the organization. You got two options. Bellator and UFC, you break in. Then you find your way to what's called the main card, which means uh, your work is going to be shown on TV. That's all it means. You then can work into a co-main or a main event spot. They're going to have built-in mechanisms known as PR. You're going to get certain media opportunities just because you're a co-main or main event spot. So they're very coveted and they're very fought after and they're very sought after. But this is the life. Break in. Make it to TV. Make it to the top of the card. The life then goes in reverse. You go from the main event 
to the co-main event, to somewhere on the card, to you are no longer part of this sport. That's the way it works. It's it's cutthroat. Sounds terrible as I say it. I'm just pointing it out for you so that you understand. Because as it would pertain to Junior Dos Santos, who is as good of a heavyweight fighter as you're ever going to come across. The fact that he broke in, went to TV, went to the main event, went all the way to the title, and has now worked himself down and was the opening bout of the night tells us not great news. I do not imagine with my greatest creativity a scenario, and I think you would see me with this, where Junior Dos Santos, a future Hall of Famer and former heavyweight champion of the world, is on an undercard. Would you agree with me? Because if he's not on an undercard and his last spot was a loss in the opening bout of the night, there's nowhere else to go. I think you guys will remember, but the night that BJ Penn took on Ryan Hall, which represents BJ's last fight, but it was like the third fight of the night, and it was weird. I mean, it felt weird, even when he came out for weigh-ins. The fact that there was no media around it. The fact that the main card is still four matches away, and here's BJ Penn. It was just one of these things. I don't begrudge or tease BJ for that. That's not the slightest what I'm saying. But it's one of these things where you got a very high-dollar guy who's now going to open with other guys that don't come close to that level of paycheck, right? With the paycheck comes your placement on the card in large part, again, a broad stroke. But it's one of these things where you go, what are we doing here? What are we doing here and why are we here? If this is a redemption story and it's not worth telling enough to put on television, then it doesn't sound like it's, it's worth doing. So there's a favor being invoked. Get it. I'm all for favors. I, I, what do you do, though? I don't know what the answer is going to be with Junior Dos Santos, though I have a guess. I don't know what the answer would be for Jose Aldo, though I do have a guess. So it's it's one of these things that if you're if you're sitting back and you're going to enjoy it, and I don't say this to bring, uh, be anticlimactic to you, by the way, I feel that if you adhere to the message I'm giving you, you are likely to be more interested in this match. I think that you would be more interested in Jose Aldo, a living legend, one of your heroes, one of your favorite fighters that you grew up on. This might be his last time. It could it could be his last time. Bellator released thirty guys one month ago. UFC is releasing sixty guys in the next two weeks, starting with Yoel Romero, which is very relevant. Very relevant that that the releases are not a commentary on the athletes' abilities. The guys Bellator released. And the UFC, and I'll use Romero, are studs. No commentary at all on their skill set. A full commentary on what is the plan and what is the vision and where do we go from here. It's a very important thing to make sure you tell your story. Very important. Surreal Gone just did the opposite. He came out and he talked about, I'm here to do my job. And he then weighed in on that fact by saying his job was to not talk or call people out or build any level of interest. It was to throw punches and kicks inside of the cage under the unified rules, under the unified time limit. He could not be more wrong. The class is heavy. The venue is yet to be determined. The the opponent is unknown. The rules are unified. The job is building interest. I don't say this to pick on Gone. I say this to use what Gone said because he was sincere when he said it. And he's upside down, backwards, inside out, and any other negative adage you could possibly give. Do not copy or listen to God. Do not run your career that way. Particularly when 90 athletes from the world's two most and only important organizations are going to be released in the first quarter. You must have a story to tell. I brought this entire diatribe to you talking about Cheeto Vera. But Cheeto Vera, who's getting ready to fight Jose Aldo, hadn't said Jose Aldo's name once. He's talking about Sugar Sean. He's talking about a rematch with Sugar Sean. 
And while you think he might be having his eye off the ball on the task at hand, what Cheeto Vera is successfully doing from a chess player's standpoint is making sure he has a job to come to tomorrow. He already has Aldo. He already has a contract signed. Most important thing in this job and all of yours isn't just the work you do today. Isn't that you showed up on time and left late. It's that you have a job to come back to tomorrow. Single most important thing, it doesn't go away in this business. As I'm watching Cheeto Vera manipulate the media as a way of building Jose Aldo, he's building what's next for him. How do you release Cheeto Vera? Let's say everything goes bad. You're going to cut 60 guys. Cheeto Vera just stubbed his toe. Let's release him. How do you release him when he's got a story that's already out there, which is a rematch with Sugar Sean? Now, Cheeto would not be one of those guys, by the way, up for release, but you, you still see my point. This is the job. Cheeto is currently doing his job. If you juxtapose that against what Cyril Gon came out and said, which is, I'm just going to do my... You see the problem? My goal was not to sit down here today and slap Gon around. But there is a very important message that is going to bite Gon in the ass. And it will bite all of you in the ass if you listen to him. Your job is to have other people interested in watching you go to work. It's a very unique business and it's a very unique industry. That's the job. Hard stop. But you'll never run out of guys who want to be paid because they were Abu Dhabi champion or who want to be paid because they were an NCAA All-American or who want to be paid because they came through the LFA and they were the champion when they came over. You're never going to run out of guys that want to read you their resume and then uh, attempt to get you to draw a bridge from said resume to said commas and zeros on a paycheck. It doesn't work that way. Did you succeed at your job in making people interested in you watch do your job? Everybody can be so upset at the Paul brothers. Between the two of them, I don't need more than one hand to tell you how many times they've ever been in the ring. But they are also headlines each day on TMZ. They are also main events or co-main events. They also are making the most money. I don't bring that to you to tell you you need to go out there and act like a doofus to get money. That's not the message. The message is just the point that if you can make people interested in watching what you're doing, you're going to get X amount, which is going to be a lot better than this big, pretty resume, and you swearing up and down that you got trophies and medals on your mantle at home. Nobody cares. Nobody has ever cared. You have a story. That's what promotion is. Promotion is not billboards and countdown shows and your face on magazine covers. It's not being a marquee or being in a main event. Promotion is one thing, which is storytelling. What is the story you have to tell and how well can you tell the story? A big fight has a big story that was told well. The end. Not a guy with a dangerous jab that follows with the left and then digs down to the body. No one gives a damn at all. And why this should be blatantly clear and why I have to raise my voice and circle back to this same damn topic every three months as a reminder... The Paul brothers are showing you it right in front of your face. And you can get upset and get your feelings hurt and call them YouTubers and blah, blah. But you can say anything you want. If they're bringing in attention and you're not, they win and you lose. Khabib Nurmagomedov loves Dustin Poirier. I I don't know if they got a relationship here or if Khabib just respected Dustin in in the case. I don't know what happened there. But Khabib is giving his absolute blessing to Dustin Poirier. I mean, to one guy, he picked one guy, he's given everything to Dustin. All the way back, if you guys remember, six, seven, eight weeks ago, when Khabib comes out and says, you want to fight me, beat Dustin. Whoever does it. I don't care, Tony or Connor, you beat Dustin, I get in there with you. And Khabib is a man of his word. That was a big statement. That was a very big statement for a hopeful guy at 155. You don't have to turn your cannons all to Dustin Poirier. So it's just one of these things. And now Khabib's come out. 
and he said that the guy most likely to pick up the belt that he's leaving behind is Dustin Poirier. I don't know if you guys would agree with that based on what our eyes showed us. I don't know that our eyes even told us what a hard fight Dustin was for Khabib. I mean, it looked like Ally Quinta was one of the harder fights that Khabib's ever had, followed by Conor McGregor, who's the only guy to win a round against Khabib. I only bring that to you because perhaps we all need to go and rewatch that fight, and perhaps it was a really hard match. Khabib sure left there with a level of respect, which I think Dustin should feel great about. It just doesn't stop me from asking the question, where did that come from? Do did did these guys know each other and he also happens to like him? I mean, it's almost like this personal thing where Khabib is such a favor to Dustin Poirier. So much praise, right? Praise from, from the champion, from the greatest the division's ever seen, possibly the sport. Compliment. And I will tell you one thing when you're looking at Khabib. He found a way to weaponize pace. It's one of the reasons, if not the only and predominant reason that Khabib GSP would have been so fascinating. You have to ask yourself right out of the gate, when Khabib gets an opponent, can that opponent hold up? Can he be here at the end of the night? When the end of the fight comes, we're 23 minutes in, is that guy still going to be here? And very few athletes can weaponize pace, and, and in many sports you don't need to. Take LeBron, by example, basketball. You wouldn't need to weaponize pace. There's just enough breaks. There's just enough breaks. There's another team that comes in. There's a halftime. There's just a lot of ways where putting that good, hard pace on a guy just isn't going to break him mentally. Just not going to have the chance. Football, in large part, is that same way. Over four hours, there's seven minutes of action. There's just not that chance to, to crack a guy, to break him mentally, make him decide, I want to do something else. In some sports, the guy who made this Famous, though. The guy who really showed the world that fatigue makes a coward out of anybody is a guy named Dan Gable, and I just saw Dan Gable on my television set because he just received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Dan Gable, to go back, incredible wrestling story. And he was uh, Iowa State. That's where he went. When he wrestled, Division I eligibility was good for three years. So you'll hear about a four-time national champion, things along these lines, four-time All-American. It wasn't even an option back then. Back then, you did a red shirt for your freshman year. You came right into a sophomore, junior, so you could do three. You go freshman, sophomore, sit one, come back for a seat. But you understand my point where you, you, you get three. So he was a two-time national champion going for his third. But in that time frame, that would have been the same as going and being a four-time national champion. I just want to make it relevant to you guys that you understand. Back then, you could only go three. He went three. So he's completely undefeated. He's won the nationals. He came back. He won the nationals again. He has a completely undefeated season. He gets into the finals with a guy named Larry Owens. Now, this story is a great story, but it's also been a little bit personal for me because my fourth grade teacher was Mrs. Owens married to Larry Owens. Larry Owens lives right now to this day, 10 miles from where I'm sitting. He was a shop teacher at Canby High School, retired. His wife was a fourth grade teacher. I had her, Mrs. Owens. His nephew, Andy... And I rode the school bus together and were teammates and wrestlers. So I'm just saying, kind of one of these things where I guess I know the Owens family. So Dan Gable, completely undefeated, ends up with Owens in the finals. His final match. Going to ride off into the sunset of his collegiate career. He loses the match. I'm sure you could have guessed that coming. One and only match he ever loses. A major upset. And he loses to Owens, who wrestled for Washington, who doesn't even have a program anymore. 
So Gable regroups, refines himself, goes and makes the Olympic team, goes on and wins an Olympic gold medal. But what Dan Gable was no, most known for, it was not a technique. There's no move named after him. Things like this where you have these great athletes. What he did is he turned pace into a weapon. He would be out there in position, pushing and pulling and firing so many attacks that his opponent would get exhausted and eventually fall down and or give up. And while you think that's a hard thing to do, you would be right. But he was doing this on the world and Olympic stage. By the time you get to the World or Olympic Championships, each country has now sent their champion. Nobody is in the bracket of a World or Olympic game that wasn't the national champion for their own country. So you got some studs out there, and he would get them so tired, they quit. They would quit. It was no longer about technique. He would have them exhausted. And he used to train seven days a week, seven hours a day. Now, those times are long gone. Nobody would be foolish enough to train seven days a week. We now understand rest. But they didn't understand rest back then, and his entire athletic career was over at the age of 23. I bring that to you because a younger guy could get away with that for a period of time. Eventually, he's going to grind himself down. You're going to have diminishing returns. You're going to get worse. You're going to get weaker. But at that youthful age, and he was very youthful, he could get away with it. And none of the rest of his teammates trained that way. Nobody trained seven days a week. Never even heard of such a thing. He's training on Sunday, right? It just doesn't happen. And how do you practice for seven hours? What coach is, uh, uh, hey, we got a workout, you know? Be here at noon. You, you'll be free to, at 7 p.m. Like, what? And so, but he didn't have coaches that were doing it. The coaches were running structured workouts. He just wouldn't leave the room. He would say, find something to do. Whether it's sprints or drilling with a partner or jumping rope or lifting weights. He's staying there for seven hours. So we got in this incredible physical condition. But he is the athlete. He is the first athlete. He is the one who showed the world that fatigue will make a coward out of any man, that you, that technique can come in second, that strategy can come in second, that pacing in combat comes in first. And it's one of those things that we have seen in MMA. We saw George St. Pierre do it. On a different level, we saw Randy Couture do it at heavyweight. Randy Couture was the first world-class athlete to really get involved in MMA. There was almost an honor in MMA at one time, believe this or not, of being a street fighter. The more tattoos you had, the better you were at MMA. The, the, the shorter you could, you could shave your hair, the better you were at MMA. The meaner you were to people around town, the better you were for MMA. This was an actual belief. This was a thing. The crazier shirt you could wear and the more profanity you could use, the higher your ranking would be in MMA. This was a thing. And Randy was the first guy to come, ev- uh, come over that had Olympic and world aspirations. And he took that same kind of training, sleep, nutrition, tape-watching strategy that he had done in wrestling and brought it over to MMA, but he also put a pace on guys. He would just get them tired, particularly at heavyweight. They just simply could not keep up with him. So we have seen this, but outside of Randy, which passed it to George St. Pierre, who passed it to Khabib, I don't know a whole lot of athletes who have made that a defining statement of their careers, possibly a part of it, possibly making sure they could defend themselves at all times, but to put a higher pace on your opponent by strategy to break him mentally and thus wear him down physically. Ties back to Dan Gable. And I must disclose for you, I don't fully know what the Presidential Medal of Freedom is there to represent or honor, but I know that he got one. I know it was an honor. That's the Dan Gable story in case you missed it. And to Coach Gable, for me, a big congratulations. Submission Underground this Sunday, December 20th, 6 p.m. Eastern, only on UFC Fight Pass. Guys, I've got to tell you, I had such an interesting time with this. So UFC goes, hey, year's coming to an end. Let's blow the doors off. Big of matches as you can get. Bring back to us how you do. Okay, so 
we had all sorts of excitement going on. We had Tony Ferguson and George St. Pierre, who both agreed to the match in like a minute, like minute for George, five seconds for Tony. George finds out he can't get out of Canada. Turns into this whole thing, fight's gone. I bring that to you because you hear Logan and Jake Paul. We went to them. Shaquille O'Neal has been training jiu-jitsu. We went to him. I mean, we're going all over the place. We're starting, we're starting to match things up, and things are coming together. But there's still a whole bunch of dead ends where you, you make it who's out there, who's available, who wants to be part of this big year and show. So it's just one of these deals. I'm going to fast forward the tape for you, but I'm going to bring you to yesterday. We have Rumble Johnson going to come in, heavyweight, take on Fabricio Verdum, which is a very interesting match because if you were to just look at that by pure grappling credentials, there's not a lot to see here. Verdum has beat anybody particularly a guy who doesn't uh, compete regularly in grappling, which is Rumble. But the rules get a little bit interesting, where there are ways where a guy as strong as Rumble, if he wants to be disciplined, can start to play games. He can start to play games, get into the, the, the coin toss, see if his color comes out. He just It's an interesting match. Verdum calls. And Verdum, Verdum, by the way, was in Brazil at the time the match got lined up. Had to come over from Brazil to L.A. a month early because of a lot of the rules and restrictions going on with these times. Plus, get his training camp in. Verdum does everything. Verdum does everything perfect. Everything he says he's going to do, boom. Calls, says he's got COVID. Oh, no. Okay. How are you doing? Do you need anything? No, i actually feeling pretty good, but I don't want to get on a flight. I don't want to be around anybody. Yep, fully understand. Take care of yourself. We're going to revisit this. If you need anything, let us know. And boom, now we're off to how do you, what do you do with the Rumble match? Do you scrap it? Do you just bring in somebody totally different? How do you replace Fabricio Verdum, right? If you're doing an event that has anything to do with MMA or grappling and you can get Verdum, you do whatever you have to do to get Verdum. It's it's one of those things. I'm sure you guys would fully understand that. But now what do you do? Because the same can be said for Rumble. That's a big get. You don't want to miss Rumble. That's Rumble. And there's not a lot of him lately. Oh, and by the way, he's all over the headlines because he just signs this, this new contract. So... What do you do? You go back to the phones. Pretty simple answer. And as we're beating the phones, you guys are going to love this. You're not going to believe. You're not going to believe who we got to take on Rumble. Big Mouth, Kevin Holland. Now, Big Mouth fought on the pay-per-view Saturday. There's no chance he wants to come out and take on a heavyweight Rumble Johnson on zero days notice. Right? I mean, the second we hang up with him, he's going to have to go to the airport. It's one of these deals. Got to make the call anyway. Right? He answers the phone. He says yes. He doesn't ask a single question. He says, I really wanted to take on Shemaev. He says, and I quote, Rumble's even better. I don't know why. I don't know why Rumble was even better than Shemaev. I'm telling you what he said because this guy was a straight up gangster. No way around it. So Kevin Holland says, I wanted Shemaev. Rumble is even better than Shemaev. To which I have to respond, why? <laughs> Like that was just a that was just a random comment. We'd never spoke before, but I have to know why. Why is Rumble better than Shemaev? He said, I'll tell you why, because John Jones is scared of Rumble. I will take on the guy that John Jones is scared to take on. Boom. I'm in. I have never met Kevin Holland. I have watched him through my television. I'm just here to tell you guys he is the real dude. This guy is coming as advertised. Anyone, anywhere, anytime, any rule said the only thing that came out of his mouth was yes. Okay. Match is done. I kept it from you guys. I was waiting till today to come and bring this to you guys. 
in the meanwhile, art department is getting the posters done. We're redoing the programs. There's some things that we have to do so that when I come and tell you guys it's going to be Holland versus Rumble, boom, we can drop it. Well, not so fast. I, in the meanwhile, had reached out to Mick Maynard. Mick Maynard says, look, I don't have anything lined up for Kevin right now, but I am definitely looking quickly. Okay. We, we'll, Holland's out. We're going to pull Holland, call Kevin Holland up. Hey, man, you did everything. You promised. You're a man of your word. So are we, but we're going to have to revisit this. It sounds as though there could be a, a different opportunity coming your way. Everybody hangs up the phone. Call it. Holland could have been a cooler guy. I'm back to the drawing board. What do I do now? What do I do now? Time is ticking. And by the way, this is Rumble Johnson. I got a hotbed here in Portland. We got more black belts in Portland. We got every minute is black belts in Portland as they do in Las Vegas and Los Angeles. We are a hotbed for grappling, but it's Rumble. Not just anybody's going to do, right? It's a special draw. It's a special attraction. It's a special placement on a very special card. Felicia Spencer will be on this card. Amanda Higgins will be on this card. The only ones that are going to close the night out later than Rumble's match is RDA versus Cowboy Cerrone and the world title match between Mason and Isha. I mean, it's a big deal. Call Ryan Bader. Ryan Bader, sitting Bellator heavyweight champion who has a past with Rumble, who is in the same organization that Rumble just signed with. Not a terribly likely phone call to get a yes from. Ryan Bader doesn't miss a beat. Boom, send me a ticket. Ryan Bader is going to be taking on Rumble Johnson this Sunday. UFC Fight Pass Submission Underground, 6 o'clock Eastern. You hear it from me first. You're listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. This week on Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski, Peyton Manning. This is Ron Jaworski. Today I am joined by legendary quarterback Peyton Manning. You know, in Philadelphia, Carson Wentz had a run of like four years of playing terrific quarterback, and all of a sudden he gets benched. How surprised are you by that? It's probably a good year that there aren't many fans allowed at Philly Stadium when you agree. <laughs> You're right about uh, that. Have you ever given thought about possibly becoming an NFL owner or a general manager of an NFL team? I've always envisioned you in that role. Yeah, Josh, I mean, I keep looking for that $3 billion, but I can't <laughs> find it. It must be, in a, must be in another account that I'm not aware of. So, hey, uh, I got a C note in my pocket. I'll, I'll invest. <laughs> Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, we'll form a group. Download new episodes of Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski every Wednesday and Friday on Podcast One and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Now, back to your welcome with Chael Sonnen. All right, guys, I don't know if anybody has been as busy in 2020, and I must tell you, I hope he stays just as busy in 2021 as a guy Dana White's calling Big Mouth. I don't know that I like Big Mouth. But Kevin Holland, what is going on, buddy? Man, how you doing, Chill? I got to tell you, when I say I don't know if I like Big Mouth, I mean the moniker. I feel like Big Mouth is, is is fighting terms. When I find you to be very funny, that's that's why I say that. <laughs> how are you, man? What's going on? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. So uh, post-fight, congratulations. Huge win. I mean, Jacare, that's a tough night out for anybody. I thought one of the most telling points, uh, Kevin, it, not just your creativity. I mean, certainly nobody's ever told you to sit on your ass and knock a guy out from bottom. You made that up on the spot. But aside from your creativity was the triangle. I mean, that triangle started to set in. You transitioned to an armbar. This is over the great Jacare. I, I can at least speak for myself, man. You opened some eyes. Well, thank you, boss. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Jacare... Uh 
very, very good, very great fighter, legendary fighter in my eyes. Uh, but grapple, grapple's a lot like Travis Luter, you know, uh, when it comes to top pressure and control and stuff like that. So it was kind of a familiar grapple. So I think that kind of helped my grappling look pretty good that, at that moment in time. Yeah, it looked great. And I'll tell you, how was he afterwards? I know that you went over and checked on him. I mean, it was a very vicious knockout if you've had the chance to see it. But if you haven't, I mean, boy, it went right on the spot. It cracked him so hard. Bent him over backwards. But I saw that you, you checked on him. Was he okay? Yeah, yeah. Actually, he was pretty good. I actually talked to him in the back. He actually passed on his gloves for my grandpa to have his gloves because uh, my grandpa's a big fan of his. So that was pretty cool with Jacare. He was in. He was still in good spirits. He acted just like a champ should act, how a legend should act. OG in the game, you know. Uh, he he was good, man. You know, tough guy. You know, got got back up, ready to go again. You know. Uh, all right. So so speaking of right back up and ready to go again, where do you go from here? I mean, you're 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 staying pretty busy. Are they are they talking to you yet? Uh, no, not really. I thought I thought I would have been grappling this weekend. I guess not. So. We'll see. We'll see what else. We'll see what else they have. Uh, my in my my perfect mind, I think fighting Derek Brunson as soon as they come back to the apex, because the good Lord knows I don't like traveling that far. So that'd be pretty nice. Uh, that'd be you know honestly that'd be awesome, Jill. You know if we're we're speaking honest to here to each other. Fighting Derek Brunson as soon as they come back to the apex, that'd be picture perfect. Now you, you had know? made a comment. Like on, you had made a comment with Megan O'Leary on the post show that Brunson had slid into your DMs. Was he talking trash or what? What, would, what had happened there with the DMs as it pertains to Brunson? Well, first time he ever messaged me, it was to help him get ready for the Israel Sanya fight. Sadly, I had to turn that down. You know, uh, in my eyes, I was thinking he was on the chopping block as it was. Um, and then he hit me up again after my Anthony Hernandez fight and told me he would slam me on my head if I ever tried something like that with him. Now, it was probably in a joking manner. You're a wrestler. He's a wrestler. You could probably vouch that he was probably just, you know, giving me props, letting me know, good job. You ever tried that on me? I'd hit you with a good takedown. Probably trying to start some conversation. In my eyes, I'm a striker. Throwing me on my head is fighting words. You know, that's, uh, you're trying to hurt me if you throw me on my head. Sure. In my eyes. Uh, so when he said that, I kind of bickered back. And then we started going back and forth. And, you know, I'm a young guy who loves to fight. You know, you come at me, you say anything, I feel like it's sideways. Unless you say sorry, it's fighting words. You know, I, I want to... I want to do what we're what we signed up to do. I want to fight. I see it your way. I mean, I see where that. I'm statement, not here to make friends. You know, I'm here to beat people up. I can huh? see. I can see where that statement could be in jest, but it's it's open to, for interpretation. I don't blame you for interpreting that way. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's, so it's definitely open, but yeah. So, okay, Kevin, so before you came on, I was telling the audience that you were offered Rumble Johnson this Sunday that you accepted instantly for Rumble Johnson. I explained the miscommunication with Mick and the match ended up not happening. But believe me, you got your credit for your willingness. You also got it from Rumble. Rumble sent me a message and said, man, I really like that guy. He reminds me a lot of myself. He said, but that guy is a straight-up stud. And this is before, this is right after you accepted, before we then had the change in opponent. But so you know, I have let the audience in on that part of the story. Oh, that's pretty cool. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I love the idea of going up against Rumble. Uh, I don't know how long the match was, but I know it's grappling, and I can grapple for a decent amount of time. So I figured uh, as long as it was, it'd be longer it went, the more in favor it would be for me. And I just figured uh, yeah, you guys had those rules, kind of like the Eddie Bravo thing. You know, you guys have the overtime rules yep. and stuff like that. That's what my coach was telling me. He said with the overtime rules, I should be able to, to pull off the win. So 
if that was the game plan, I was cool with it. Go out there, have a fun time, and if I couldn't sub him, make sure he couldn't sub me, and then catch him in the OT. Boom. You know, so boom. All right, we, we got to redo that match, even if it's down the road. We got to get you and Rumble together. I agree with you. Let me let me tell you something. I was asking you who was next. I know you said Brunson. You want to know who I would love to see you matched up with, and and I think I'll get my way sooner or later. Darren Till. I would love. I I, I seen I seen that. I seen that, and I would love that matchup as well. I think him and Marvin Vittori are going to scrap. Um, oh. So props props to those oh. two. If they do it, props to them. If it hasn't been signed yet, it's something I'd gladly take. Uh, I'd gladly take a till fight. I think it'd be some good back and forth. I think it'd be good for the fans. I think it'd be good for me. Uh, I think it'd be. I think it'd be a fun, good fight. You know, it's like I like the idea of fighting Darren Till. Honestly, when I used to see him doing his thing at seventy, I was like, man, he's a big seventy. I can definitely continue to make seventy. Then I stopped being able to wanting to. I stopped wanting to do seventy. I don't like those big weight cuts. And uh, I used to always say that guy'd be better if he came up to eighty-five. I feel like his chin would be stronger. He came up to eighty-five. He's looking. I feel like he looks a little better at eighty-five than he did at seventy. It'd be a lovely fight against Till. But I have a firm belief: if somebody's been knocked out before, I can knock him out again. So you know, it's like uh, it'd be a fun fight. So Kevin, tell tell me mindset like from a morale, from a motivation standpoint. To be in your weight class 185, where it appears that the champion is going to leave the weight class. I mean, is he coming back, in your opinion, Bikes? If he if Izzy has success against Blahovich, does he return to 185? If he doesn't return, how long till we get on with it? How long till we either do an interim championship, an undisputed championship? I mean, where's your mindset as a competitor as it pertains to the title? Well, you got to remember the champ that Israel Sanya is, right? I'm not a big fan of the guy. I mean, I think he does marvelous work when it comes to fighting, but I'm not a big fan of the guy. Um, he's a popular guy. You know, what he does is really good. He sells, and people love him, you know, and it's like, and that's fantastic. So I think for him to come back to 85, it has to be worth his while. You know, why cut the extra weight and go down to 85 if you can be the champ at 205? And if you could possibly go up to John Jones and Styles make fights and give him a rough fight, especially since John Jones seems to be moving a little bit slower these days, you know, uh, give him a rough fight at heavyweight and possibly be a three-time champion. It doesn't make sense for him to come back to 85 if he's fighting Whitaker again, somebody he's already knocked out, or if he's fighting Paulo Castillo, somebody he's already beat. It has to be worth it. Uh, same thing with the UFC. Why would they want to strip somebody who is a good person for the brand, a good person for the business of a belt, if he's a good person for the business, unless somebody else steps up to the plate and they're a better for the business at that weight class. So, no, I don't see them taking a belt from him unless somebody uh, steps up to the plate. And I don't see him wanting to come back down to 85 for just anybody. So, overall, somebody has to step up. You know, if he's the good guy, somebody has to be the bad guy. If he's the bad guy, somebody has to be the good guy. Sure. Somebody has to step up and play the other role. You know, and if somebody can do that, then I think it's worth it for everybody involved. Until then, you know, I think the division sits at cobwebs for a while because at this clear cut who's at the top, and it's not clear-cut who's the next challenger. Sure. Uh, well said. By the way, when you are talking about not thinking he would return to 185, I mean, historically, that's what we've seen. Conor McGregor, by example, wins two belts, never goes back. Uh, Henry Cejudo, by example, once he becomes 35-pound, doesn't go back to 125. But Izzy is a little different in one regard, Kevin, which is he's not all that big of a guy. I don't know if Adesanya will ever get on the scale, and that scale is going to say 205. He claims himself he's not going to bulk up to the weight, that he's just going to move move up to the weight, still weighing around 190, 193. I, I only offer that because that is a little bit different than some of the guys who took a weight cut off their shoulders. He appears that he could still make middleweight. That, yeah, you know what? That's a good point. 
Um, but he had a titty his last fight. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on here or not, but he had a titty his last fight, Chill. So, uh, and then last time I seen the man, he looked like he was putting on some size. So I think, I think he does 205 fairly easy. Uh, and I think unless he wants to reshave that titty back down, it's going to be a little bit harder to get to 85. Um, you look at me, I walk around at 196 pounds. I see 85 after a couple poops and a couple healthy meals. No problem. Uh, but I would be happy for him to come back to 85. Means I don't have to grow a titty and go to 205. So <laughs> but he could be right peck, I could be left peck. I don't know. You're making poetry out of out of that word, I must tell you. You made you made that work. But let me ask you, who wins that fight? Blahovich versus Adesanya. Who do you pick? Polish power is nothing to play with, but I don't think Asanya will play with it. So uh it could be a good fight for Asanya. You know, I think I I believe Styles make fights. I believe he has the style to give him problems. And uh John has been knocked out not too long ago. And and honestly, he's just turned his career around. So Izzy's been on a hot track. I think uh, I think Izzy gets the job done. You know, it's like styles make fights. I think Izzy's hard to hit. They're both going out there. They're going to more likely strike. And it's not going to be a grappling match. Uh, I, think, I think Izzy gets the job done. As long as he doesn't get caught clean, he gets the job done. All right, Kevin, you know? I got to tell you, I, I've appreciated you in 2020. I have appreciated you doing this interview. I appreciate that you agreed to go up and take on Rumble, whether that worked out or not. You got anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, no, not really, but I do love your freaking setup right there. The way everything looks, it looks great. I'm happy to be on your show. I think this is amazing, and uh, you appreciate me. I appreciate you more. You laid out, you laid out how we got to talk this crap the right way. Not too bad, not too nice, just straight to the point. I appreciate the compliment, especially from you, Big Mouth. No problem. No problem. No problem, Shell. All right, take care, pal. I will be in touch. You too, boss. Thank you, man. All right, guys. There's the man, Kevin Holland. What a 2020 he had, by the way. I have lost track as to how many fights he had, but I believe it was five. I believe he's the only guy who has had more fights than Figueredo. And then tried to come out and take on Rumble. Behind the scenes, the whole reason I wanted to have Kevin on today is because I feel that if I would have told that story without him there to co-sign the statement, you guys might not believe it. I mean, how many how many other fighters would we guess that about? We'll get out of the ring with Jacare, get on an airplane, come out to Washington State, and do a grappling match five days later with one of the scariest guys in the world at Rumble Johnson. Well, I don't know the answer. I know of one guy. That guy. Kevin Holland. All right, guys, good place to call it, but I'll be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.